0: Welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together, we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the
1: realm of God, and freedom through Christ.
0: So spread out those wings and slither in place because this is is Snakebirds. Hey, welcome, Snakebirds, to a fresh episode. Our format today finds us walking on the weird side, discussing things in the Bible that could be defined as odd, strange, peculiar, or just downright unusual.
1: That's right, we've come to another Weird in the Word. That's right. I love these episodes because a lot of times you don't hear some of the stuff we dive deep into mm-hmm. and it's just so interesting and today is no exception i mean this one is going to be a doozy it really <laughs> is
0: yeah it's all solar and cosmic <laughs> very nice
1: <laughs> it is the sun standing still right is yeah what we're titling it i guess yeah yeah <laughs> th- exactly it is what it does yeah
0: <laughs> and what we've always said is if it's weird it's worthy of discussion
1: it is it is and today it is weird yeah, yeah. And it's going to be awesome.
0: (laughs) So uh, I've got the scene to set up, if that's all right. That's right. Set us up. Okay. Well, in this story, we come to the book of Joshua and find the children of Israel smack dab in the middle of their campaign to inhabit the promised land. They've crossed the River Jordan and had an amazing victory at Jericho. They tripped up at Ai. They've rebounded and just reaffirmed their covenant with God next we find them tricked into a peace treaty by the Gibeonites, you know, the group that fooled them into thinking that they were from a far, far away land. Uh, But it turned out that they lived close by because honestly, they came out and they were like, well, look at our stuff. We've got worn out clothes and shoes, moldy bread. Even our Gatorade bottles are mostly empty. (laughs) I mean, they really sold the deception. And there's a super powerful lesson to be learned there about seeking God for wisdom and not just going off what you see. But that's not for today. Anyway, Joshua tells them despite their deception, they're going to honor their deal and not drive them out of the promised land, but the Gibeonites are going to become water carriers and woodcutters for the Israelites henceforth. Flip forward one page to the chapter we'll be discussing today, and the local kings are now checking their social media feeds and seeing pictures of the Gibeonites shaking hands with Joshua and the Israelites, and of course that doesn't settle well with them, and it sets up the scenario for our our discussion today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the scene. And as you're laying that out, it really works out perfect because as I started jumping into the story, reading the first five verses of Joshua 10, I got some extreme deja vu because we see a very familiar scene from a previous episode we did where in Genesis 14, there was a very similar coalition of Kings. And also we see a king in the very first verse of Joshua 10 here by the name of Adonai Zedek, which if you're looking for baby names, that's one, <laughs> um, but it translates as the Lord of righteousness. And the intriguing thing to me is that some 700 years or so back, we saw that Melchizedek, who we discussed to be the preincarnate form of Jesus back in Genesis 14, um, was the king of Salem, which that earlier title translates king of righteousness. So some Scholars believe this area that was once Salem has now become Jerusalem, and it's pretty noticeable to me that God has evolved this region, Jerusalem, from very early on and guided it. But even more interesting than that is the fact that Melchizedek was referred to as the king of righteousness, while Adonai Zedek is referred to as Lord of Righteousness. And the suggestiveness to me is like in medieval times where there would be a king of a region and then delegated beneath him was like the lords mm-hmm. of a region. Um, and I do realize that we can't do an exact parallel jump between those two examples, but I do think that something similar is happening, um, here. And we're fixing to see that this Adonai is an enemy of Israel, but remember that we've, you know, we've seen a lot of rulers used by God that would later be disbarred from service. And we know that they weren't righteous like Cyrus or even Saul in the very, um, early stages of Israel for a season. But, um, I know for anyone who who isn't familiar with the story yet, you're probably thinking, "Man, that's information overload." But I found it really interesting. Some of these um, interconnected, uh, this interconnected material, it was really fascinating to me to just kind of I had deja vu that just took me back there. Yeah, and it, it was really cool. I thought. That's really
0: interesting because I saw the same parallel. I didn't necessarily go into it to discuss it, but now that you mention it, there's a ton of just going, huh, coalition of kings, Jerusalem. I didn't even put together about Salem or Jerusalem, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it was just, I found it interesting. So that's, um, we've got the the scene set up and we got that cool little little deja vu there. So (laughs) should we uh, jump into the story, Josh? Yes. uh, Joshua chapter 10. That's it. So this Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard about this people of God led by Joshua and how they were just taken over the land. And he was specifically afraid because the city of Gibeon had just made peace with Israel. Now, Gibeon was a big city in and of itself. So considering that Israel was already taking over the land and this massive city just allied with them, mm-hmm. um, he was no doubt terrified, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. And
0: it says specifically about Gibeon, it says, all of its men were mighty. <laughs> yeah, so
1: they weren't wusses. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, that's so yeah, worse. If
0: they were already going to take and make this treaty with the Israelites, what am I supposed to do? Because Gibeon is greater than AI and and now they're off the map in terms
1: of like helping us um, stop this invading force. Yeah, Exactly. And like any good, terrified king would do, he reaches out for help to the following kings. A coalition. <laughs> yes. Um, which would be uh, Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, um, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Dabir, king of Eglon. And Josh, feel free to correct me on any of the mispronunciations. <laughs> and um, I have a feeling you might have looked up what the names mean. So, <laughs> Actually, I, I, I did. You I, did. I did, but I didn't like find anything there. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> you usually do. But... Yeah,
0: yeah. I was like, uh. <laughs> well, at least correct me on the mispronunciations. There's only one that I saw. It Which was one a was it? Lakish. Lakeish because that ch makes a k sound.
1: Oh, I thought it was laish. I've always heard it laishish, but I, <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> My name is De Beer, go <laughs> <Joe> deer De Beer. <laughs> That's a Saturday Night Live skit, isn't it? Yeah, nice. All right, back to the story, guys. Um, he got with these five kings and he's like, I need some help. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But they don't go after the Israelites. No, <laughs> no, they go after the Gibeonites. They
1: do. They're like <laughs> we're going to get them first.
0: Yeah, and I don't really understand that because I think, what if you said to the Gibeonites, "Hey, break your treaty with the Israelites and let's let's gang up on them instead of it could
1: be a six king coalition versus a yeah. five king." And you know, they could have just been trying to get to them as fast as they could. They were familiar with the territory and those people more so than Israel before this blitzkrieg got started. Yeah.
0: And I think they're just hurt. I think they're like really upset. Yeah. They're not even your people. Why didn't we think of it first?
1: What have we done? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so, of course, Gibeon, all of a sudden they look out their city gates and they see all these people camping around them and they realize we're in trouble. Yeah. But we've got these brand new
1: allies. (laughs) Yeah. And so they they send word to Joshua because they need help. And um, when Joshua gets word of this, he assembles all of his men of war, valiant warriors, we're told. And God gave him these instructions in verse eight. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I've given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. Mm. And, you know, with this promise of God, Joshua leads them. Through the night to accomplish God's will.
0: All the way. I mean, you're talking like a long, long march. Yeah. Yeah. Through the night. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, driving all night's hard on me.
1: (laughs) Right. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But talk about marching all night. Yeah. Just to get there. And and you have to be in full strength to battle. But Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what God said to do. And it says so the Lord routed them before Israel killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon chased them along the road that goes to beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Maqueda and as it happened they fled before Israel and were on the descent of beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died Oh yeah and it says they were more that died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword
1: Yeah and you know, what I love about this scene is that we don't see God just give his blessing to fight these battles. God himself is going before them to, mm-hmm. you know, helping alongside them in these battles. Yeah, um, Verse 10 says that the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And the word used for confounded here is hamam, and it means to make noise, uh, move noisily, confuse, discomfit. And it's used 14 times throughout the Old Testament where God is there alongside his called children to fight their battles side by side. Wow. And I found that just really cool because yeah. he it's its not just a, yeah, you got permission, go do it. I mean, God's there with them. I am yeah. with you.
0: I like your translation that said slew with the great slaughter. It, it's, <laughs> it's more gladiator, isn't it? Full yeah. <laughs> line. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Hold. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Sorry for our umpteenth gladiator reference uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while
1: we know y'all love it too yeah exactly
0: (laughs) but the neat thing is that um even when the children of israel were moving into the promised land it said that the hornet would at times go before them and just mess people up to the point where they were more concerned about getting stung than fighting a battle and a lot of times the children of israel would just be able to come in and wreck shop because the people were so inflicted or already so distracted
1: yeah Yeah. And we see God do that, don't we? Like the plagues of Egypt and everything. He just—he has a way of of making a way for his people.
0: Well, and this is one of those things that I would love to see what these hailstones look like. Because, I mean, living in, uh, you know, we've said it often, living in West Texas, we've seen at times golf ball, um, even baseball size hail at times. I can't imagine what size hailstones these were in order to actually kill a person. No kidding.
1: Yeah, and and God used it, and sl- he, it says that He slew more than than they did with a sword. With yeah. It. So I mean, it was clearly God paving, just paving the way. Yeah, paving with stones, <laughs> hailstones. Well, in, <laughs> 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 um,
0: I couldn't help but think of like Lord of the Rings, where uh, I think it's the the last. Um, of the trilogy, the return of the King, where the orcs and all of them are gathering stones from the city or, or they're throwing, um, off of, Osgiliath or whatever, they're throwing these giant stones at these orcs and it's just taking out rows of, of advancing battlements. And it's really neat to see that. And for me, maybe to kind of correlate the two and picture that in my head of what this might've looked like.
1: Yeah, for real. And that's, and that's really cool because this really happened and to see, you know, sometimes it's cool to imagine the CGI alongside it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about, okay, maybe the hailstone could be the size of like, I don't know, a large boulder. But then another time, if it's the size of a softball and it hits you in the head... I mean, I saw a a car that had all of its windows busted out, and I mean, it it takes a lot to bust a car window.
1: Oh yeah, for well, for the previous fifteen years, I was in construction. I've gone after some really bad um, hailstorms in like Seminole towards Midland. Well, y'all listeners don't know where that is, (laughs) but it's it's (laughs) south from where we are, where they get some really bad hail. And I mean, I've seen softball size hail that they got. They that's what they reported go through a roof and then out the side of a wall. Wow. So in that soft so I mean that would that would do some real skull yes. cracking. Yeah. I mean yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so God that that's the method God used in this case yes. with uh, hailstones and uh to make a great noise. I, yeah. I the noise was odd too. Oh, I bet. Odd's not even the right word. Just thwack. Just, you know? yeah. <laughs> 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 it's an onomatopoeia. <laughs> Just a terrible scene. Yeah. Alright, so now we're we're on the pursuit. God has has paved the way with these stones, the hailstones, and we're on the pursuit. And it's obvious that Adonai Zedek along with his allies have been defeated at this point, but the promise from God was that not one of them would stand before them. So Joshua, who obviously takes this promise as a command, realizes that they're running out of daylight. And I really love this warrior mentality mixed with complete faith that Joshua displays here. Because what happens next, Josh?
0: Yeah, this is where we get into the weird. Because mm-hmm. right here, Joshua stands up before the Lord and he says in the sight of all of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge on their
1: enemies. It's like the most outrageous request that you could make. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, I've got to chase it. God said that not one of them will stand. I, I march through the night. We know that he's the type of guy that just yeah. has that mentality. And he's like... The next logical thing is let's let the sun stand still. Yes.
0: I mean, it's almost like if he was doing a chase, it would have been easier for him to say, God, give me a unicorn that I can run after them. (laughs) That might have been a simpler request than this. This
1: is like one of those pictures where they they catch uh, Bigfoot riding Nessie. (laughs) Or Putin shirtless on a on a grizzly going across the Ukraine, you know, it's just real, a real gnarly request. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty um, outrageous request, but it's something that God honored. And of course, the verse goes on to say, is this not written in the book of Jasher? And it says, so the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord has heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. And so, of course, since this is our weird thing, there's a few things that we kind of really have to unpack. If there's any scientific things um, that are in context of this, uh, the first thing that I want to mention right off the bat that it that it says, um, is this not written in the book of Jasher? And I thought, well... Okay, I know that there's 66 books of the Bible, mm-hmm. and none of them are named Jasher. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know it, it kind of lands in that Book of Enoch territory. It's, yeah, it's uh, and I found I remember hearing that or reading that as I was doing like the one year Bible, and I hopped on Amazon. I'm gonna get the Book of Asher. You know, it's you no know, like it's like the Maccabees or whatever yeah. else. It's, yeah, and uh, there's some debate on the Book of Jasher as we have it now, mm-hmm. but we know it was a book that. I mean, was worthy of being put in scripture to call upon to go check this out. Yes, because it's referenced...
0: Two times. Mm-hmm. And um, what it means is it's the book of the just ones or the book of the upright. Uh, the other place that it's mentioned is in Second Samuel. It says, and then David lamented uh, with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Mm-hmm. And this is right after Saul had um, been killed by the Philistines and also Jonathan and his other sons and yeah. David's lamenting and he's like hey I wrote this song write it down yeah but it's in the book of Jasher
1: yeah <laughs> hey, did you dive into to finding the the current text we have of that or anything yeah
0: okay so I did some exploring if you don't mind yeah. Um This was possibly once in the Septuagint. That's what somebody said. Yeah. And uh, it clearly existed during biblical times and was probably available throughout the period of the Judean kingdom. However, no further references to the book of Jasher occur after the time of David. And I did find out that there is a book available in English today by that same title, but it is not the same book. Mm -hmm. It's an 18th century forgery that alleges to be a translation of The Lost Book of Jasher by a guy named Alcuin, and a more recent translation by a science fiction and fantasy writer named Benjamin Rosenbaum (laughs) uh, is actually a complete work of fiction.
1: So I'll, I'll, I'll stand corrected and say it's not quite like the Book of Enoch, but <laughs> but it's uh, one because there's multiple books in the Bible that are mentioned. Like I think there's one of the Book of the War of the Kings or something, yeah. and yeah. that that's going to be an episode in the future, extra biblical sources. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that it's kind of fascinating. Well, and that is
0: the crazy thing is that you could try to get on uh, Amazon and order. A, a book of Jasher
1: yeah do your research but though. you have to do your
0: research yes. you have to be a snake bird because you might be getting something that's a uh, total farce
1: I, I've actually got the book of Asher that you're talking about in my library oh, okay. and I was reading it and the dude I always go back I like to triple reference things at least and the guy was like go back and, and look at this book and that book was written by him too Oh, <laughs> I was oh. like you can't reference yourself <laughs> he referenced himself <laughs> he did well, so uh,
0: yeah come to find out another book by the same name called by many Pseudo Jasher while written in Hebrew, is also not the book of Jasher mentioned in Scripture. It is a book of Jewish legends from the creation of humanity to the conquest of Canaan under Joshua, but scholars hold that it did not exist before uh, 1625 AD. In addition, there are several other theological works by Jewish rabbis and scholars called the Sefer Hayashar, But none of them purport to be the original book of Jasher.
1: Yeah, that's the one that I actually have, that last one talking about, the conquest. Yeah. It kind of makes me want to say, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things where if you hear it, you
0: have to repeat it. Okay. Yeah. Um, But in the end, we must conclude that the biblical book of Jasher is truly lost, and all we really know about it is found in the two scriptural quotations of here and then in 2nd uh, Samuel. Yeah. But the other books by that title are merely fictitious or Jewish moral treaties.
1: Yes. All all we can do is pray for another earthquake in Qumran, <laughs> where it might open another cave up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and out <laughs> pops the book of Joshua. Yeah. Jew, yeah little boy's guiding his goats and finds it in the cave. So and Maybe. we're talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, in case yeah, you're in wondering. Case you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting, Josh. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That's really neat. And I also notice this is where we get a lot of critics that'll get into the weeds with specifics in what modern science shows us. Um, some say the text suggests that the earth would literally have to slow its rotation that um, that bothers some people. Mm-hmm. And uh, on that note, I do have some things to say about the debate on this. Okay. Um, do, you, do you want me to go into that now, Josh? Um, I wanted to say one last thing before you do.
0: Okay. Uh, just before we get into the weeds about science and everything, because I went in some of the same directions that you did, mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting that there are so many significant biblical events involving weather. In the days of Elijah, there There was no rain for three years. Um, Remember, you said during the plagues of Egypt, there was darkness Mm -hmm. or hailstones. Uh, Hezekiah's sundial moved backwards. And then even uh, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, the darkness that, that they experienced while he was on the cross. And whatever this is, which we'll talk about it, whether there's a scientific explanation for it or not, this was a clear example of creation bowing to its creator and obeying in response to what it was commanded
1: to do. Very well said yeah and that's that's pretty much you concluded at my end on that too (laughs) (laughs) but we'll take it back and i just i just have a few things to say um i'll start off by saying that i do not believe this event is painting in a poetic light to be mythological Mm -hmm. because that was what some were saying um it very well might be poetic but ancient poetry has often included the very reality of what was worthy of the poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I sometimes hear people try to phrase the question, do you believe that the Bible is uh, to be believed literally? And it's a silly question in my mind because nobody on planet Earth communicates literally all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither does God's Word. There are parts where we see literal language and there's parts where we have symbology. And scientists do the same thing. Uh, just like when we say the sun sets or rises, that is not a scientific reality, but we have no problem using that that phrase. Mm. Um, but anyways, let, let's just say a few things about what I believe happened here with the sun standing still from what I've gathered and read. Uh, My stance on the details of how this long day was accomplished might be different than some, but as I hopped on this study um, I started listening to some of the the differing ideas. It seemed like there was a lot of stances taken on how this could have occurred scientifically. And don't misunderstand me here on what i 'm fixing to say because i 'm a big scientific apologetics guy. I literally mm. wrote a book on it <laughs> and there is a line there's a line that we come to in certain areas where we have to say something out of the ordinary definitely happened here. We can actually see data suggesting it. But in some cases, they're just a supernatural aspect that steps out of the realm of natural scientific cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's precisely why miracles are called miracles. If the In miraculous cases, God takes things from this side of the veil into the room on the other side of the curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, one case in point is where Jesus says, If the people stop praising me, then the very stones will cry out. Some will say Jesus was just making a symbolic point rather than a literal point. Maybe, maybe not. I happen to take the stance, like Josh just said, where creation itself literally will vibrate at the presence of Almighty God. And that's obviously a whole nother podcast episode. But there are those who would take that same stance and they would take it a step further by describing just how God would transplant vocal cords into the rocks. Mm. And I don't think that's necessary because um, it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. It's it's kind of a silly speculation type of deal. It's not needed. Yeah. Uh, but what I do find worthy of attention is the obvious data that suggests something has in fact entered the miraculous realm, whether archaeologically, scientifically, or any of the sciences. And we do in fact have a situation here in Joshua 10 where that happens. And the attention is centered on the fact that archaeologists have discovered that the ancient people groups of the earth all started to adjust their calendars at the same time at an era they believe to be around the 8th century BC. Now, because of this, I believe the timeline could be altered a lot, Mm. but the point to be made is this. For some reason, people across the globe who had never come in contact with each other had a uniform motivation to adjust what had been observed in the celestial heavens, a system of yearly calculations that had been working for as long as we can see archaeologically. And the alteration they made was to time itself in the calendars. They had to switch the standard from the standard flow of how the stars moved in the calendar because it didn't match anymore from 360 days in a year to 365 days in a year. And I did see that some cultures, it took a little bit longer to troubleshoot the changes, mm-hmm. but they all recognized the changes at the same time. And I thought that was really suggestive if if it was something that literally happened in the heavens we actually see some data that supports that yeah. very well could have happened wow i thought it was really cool and chuck missler is where i got a lot of that from okay. he is such a smart dude he's with the lord now but yeah. um he has uh, really presented that better than I did here, but it's a really cool deal, I thought. Oh, no. Yeah, that's really neat. Which means,
0: uh, since he is already with the Lord, that he knows
1: what yeah, happened. he knows. <laughs> I doubt he even wanted to ask about that. It yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah he's like, I, I had it figured out. Yeah. But
1: I thought it was really cool, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think I, on. I I agree. I came across a lot of the same thing whether it's like, was it poetic? Uh was it a, a figure of speech? Mm-hmm. Uh what was the purpose of it? And what could this mean and why did he address the moon and the sun at the same time? Yeah. So I found a few different things. I'd like to present um a couple of the different uh commentators that I've read. Yeah. Because uh MacArthur who we've had a storied history with. (laughs) Uh, He said this, Some say an eclipse hid the sun, keeping its heat from Joshua's tired soldiers, allowing the temperature to cool for battle. Others suppose that it was caused by a local, not universal, refraction of the sun's rays, such as the local darkness on Egypt. Another view explains it as only language of observation. Uh, In example, it seemed to Joshua's men that the sun and moon had stopped, as God helped them to do in one literal 24-hour day that would normally take much longer. Others view it as lavish poetic description, which is like what you said, not literal fact. However, such ideas fail to do justice to the verses and needlessly question God's power as their creator. This is best accepted as an outright monumental miracle. Joshua, moved by the Lord's will, commanded the sun to delay, or in the Hebrew, be still, be silent, or leave off. Um, possibly the earth actually stopped revolving, or most likely, the sun moved in the same way to keep perfect pace with the battlefield. The moon also temporarily ceased its orbiting. This permitted Joshua's troops time to finish the battle with complete victory and didn't allow night nighttime for the enemies to regroup and re-coordinate attacks in the morning. Yeah, so I mean that's yeah. that's one way of putting it. I'm I'm like okay, because a lot of people are presenting eclipse.
1: Yeah, and and like I said, there's there's kind of a maybe maybe not situation yeah. in there, but yeah. it seems like in verse thirteen, it, it makes a point to, to say there was there's no other day like this. Yes, it stood still for a yeah. whole day. Yeah, it was kind of it's a, a lot of literal language. in Yeah, there. so Wiersbe, he says this.
0: This is the last recorded miracle in Joshua, and certainly the greatest. Joshua prayed for God's help, and the Lord answered in a remarkable way. This event is questioned by those who deny the reality of miracles and only look in science for truth. How could God stop the rotation of the earth and extend the length of a day, they ask, without creating chaos all over the planet? They seem to forget the fact that days are normally different lengths in various parts of the world without the planet experiencing chaos. At two in the morning, I read the newspaper by sunlight in Norway. (laughs) you <laughs> Uh, and I remember my dad lived in Alaska for a little while, and they would be playing softball in the middle of the night because of the way that yeah. their summers and their winters work.
1: Yeah, a- that's and neat. he
0: was there during the summer. But how do you explain such a miracle? Any miracle, of course, the simplest answer is the answer of faith. The Lord is God, and nothing is too hard for Him. It says in Joshua thirty-two seventeen, "O Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Day and night belong." To God, and He has made everything His servant. If God can't perform the miracle described in Joshua 10, then He can't perform any miracle and is imprisoned in His own creation, unable to use or suspend the very laws He built into it. I have a difficult time believing in that kind of a God. Yeah. And then, can I read one other? Yeah. So, an Old Testament expert named Gleason L. Archer points out that the phrase hastened not to go down in verse 13 indicates a retardation of the movement and not a complete cessation. The sun and moon didn't stand still permanently and then suddenly go down, but were held back so that the daylight was lengthened. God stopped the sun and the moon and then retarded the rotation of the planet so that the sun and moon set very slowly. Such a process would not create chaos all over the globe. A corollary to this view is that the sun and moon remained on their normal course and it only appeared that the day was lengthening because of the way God caused the light to be refracted. But verse 13 states twice that the sun stood still and only the moon stayed. However, these verbs not need to describe a permanent situation, but the only the beginning of the miracle. God stopped the sun and the moon in their courses and then controlled their gradual descent, all the while causing the light to be refracted for a much longer period of time. Since verse 13b... To verse 15, are poetical in form, a quotation from the unknown book of Joshua. So many students interpret the words symbolically. They say that God so helped Israel that the army was able to accomplish two days' work in one day. But Joshua's word sounds very much like a prayer to the Lord that he would intervene. And the description of what occurred doesn't read like the report of an efficiency expert. (laughs) It's not (laughs) like, oh, he was able to just... Get over there and get it done. (laughs) It seems like it's a literal phrase. So why try to explain away a miracle? What can we prove? Certainly not that we're smarter than God. Either we believe in a God who can do anything, or we must accept a Christian faith that's non-miraculous, and that does away with the inspiration of the Bible, the virgin birth, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Certainly there's room for honest questions about the nature of the miraculous, but for the humble Christian believer, there's never room for questioning the reality of the miraculous. I like that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's room for honest questions about the nature of the miraculous, but not room for questioning the reality of the miraculous. C.S. Yeah. Lewis wrote, The mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity
1: into mere religion and you that's that's really well put that's the danger of of trying to come at it and and explain it away scientifically mm-hmm. it de- defeats the miracle and
0: and that's how you get the ben franklin bible
1: yeah exactly so yeah i really like that. that That was well put um there was one
0: other article that i found And it was um, Cambridge researchers announced that they have pinpointed the date of the biblical account of Joshua stopping the sun, which they claim is the day of the oldest eclipse ever recorded. Uh, It's on October 30th of uh, 1207 uh, BC. Exactly like... Three thousand two hundred and twenty-seven years ago. Wow! Well. <laughs> and they lay out this whole article. I I googled it and I just thought it was really interesting because they talk about the interpretation for the Hebrew word that translated "stand still" has the same root as the Babylonian used in ancient astronomical texts that describe eclipses. Yeah. And so there's a lot of correlation of like we feel like it's this and. I I'm so thankful that they actually just do research into it and they yeah. they back it up with some other things. So if this is something that I feel like you're fascinated by, there's more information on it. We just there is. we don't want to get too far into the weeds, but this is definitely uh, in the scope of things in the Bible, this is definitely
1: weird it is and and just to top that that off, you know think about people often think of of people back then as so primitive they don't really get mm. this and that. But uh, they knew exactly where the celestial bodies were yeah. in the heavens. You get somebody today with all the technology we have, the telescopes and stuff, and you tell somebody pinpoint for me uh, Mars or Jupiter. Right. They won't be able to do it. No, but they could. They could. And they knew exactly. They where didn't it was. watch TV. No, <laughs> they, just, they didn't have TVs just, or iPads. They just sat. They on, noticed that yeah. every winter that star shows up, and by golly, that was a god. You yeah. know, they knew where those yes. celestial bodies yeah. were. So. Um, before you, you go down that road, like Josh said, there's a lot more information that you can go if you're if you're interested in that type of thing. It's very, very interesting. Yeah.
0: The one thing I'll say is that just those Mayans, they just didn't get a big enough stone <laughs> to finish their calendar. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. No. I mean, you think about even the the wise men that showed up. Uh, with the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. These were guys that studied the skies. These were guys that pinpointed the the season yeah. by what was going on in the stars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm jealous of those guys that say they can navigate their ships at night. You oh, know, I know. Using the stars as their that's their compass and their guide
1: yeah what do they say uh, necessity is the mother of all innovation invention
0: it, or innovation or, yeah. yeah whatever yeah
1: and, and they they did they had to they had to know that stuff mm-hmm. and they did life and death <laughs> exactly <So>. yeah <laughs> if you don't make
0: it back to the port that you left from you they may not make it which
1: sea monsters were in those oceans <laughs> by golly
0: they didn't want to be out there too
1: long <laughs> they knew Squatch is out there riding Nessie <laughs> Sea Squatch yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know and I was also kind of thinking um, we're almost getting a double feature here in this weird in the word because the primary focus is on the fact that the sun stood stood still or you know that's the terminology and uh, but we also see this extremely unique situation where it says that the Lord listened to a voice of a man, mm. and that caught my attention because you hear that and you're like, "Wait a minute, that sounds almost contradictory it almost it sounds weird yeah it's weird in the word <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know um, obviously there's some speculation that can be had here, but I see it like Joshua was just standing so strongly on the promises that God had given him and had so much faith in what God was already doing that in that moment he just shouted out in the spirit of just standing on what was already happening yeah he was so intertwined with what God was doing mm. it was like a, a a movement in unison yeah yeah
0: a prayer of faith that was already walking in the will of what God wanted to do.
1: Yeah, and that's that's kind of as I dwelled on oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's that's awesome to point out. Yeah, because it, it sounds weird at first, but you think about it. Joshua was really standing on those promises. Well,
0: because yeah, you hear people command God to do something, and you're like, "I'm going to take a few steps back and exactly, taste yeah. lightning strikes," <laughs> you know. But when you're walking in God's will and you you see what He wants to do, and then I love that you keep pointing out that he's holding fast to the promise that none of them will stand before them Yeah, and Joshua's like I still see a few <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> yeah it's, that's it's, the next scene he's, he's gonna keep yeah. chasing them which is so tragic to think of what comes later in the book of Joshua where the children of Israel are now inhabiting the lands that get um, doled out to them but uh, like it keeps saying at the end of the book of Joshua in the beginning of the book of Judges it goes but The tribe of Reuben failed to drive out all the inhabitants from the land and the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Asher and the tribe of Issachar, you know, and you're just like, oh man, God wanted them gone because he understood what it meant for you to have to cohabitate the land with them, that they were going to cause you to sin.
1: And that's a really, really interesting point, too, because Joshua, from what we see, is just a, such a good leader. Mm-hmm. And he was he was showing them the example of what it meant to follow through on that yeah. command and that promise, so much so that the sun would stand still. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, uh, some of them uh, didn't follow through with their command to drive out all the inhabitants. Yeah, and,
0: and if this sounds gnarly, like God's like, I'm going to kill them all, it, we have to remember what pagan people these were, because mm-hmm. a lot of times in the in the earlier part of the book of Joshua or even in the book of Deuteronomy, when God says... Hey, I'm letting you into this promised land and I'm not driving them out because you guys are so good. I'm driving them out because they are so bad.
1: Yeah. Well, and and also, I mean, if you're really interested in that question of why would a loving God do this genocide, Mm -hmm. you should really do this study because Mm -hmm. it, it really takes a lot of context uh, to understand that. God, there's there's even one verse, and I didn't prepare it, so I don't, I, can't, I don't know the address, but it says that their wickedness had not come to its full crying out to God mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So and, and it speaks of God still waiting patiently for them to repent. Yeah. And in we know um, through certain studies that it was probably about 400 years that he waited for them to repent. Yes. And they didn't. And, yeah. and if you knew some of the stuff that they did, it's a study worth doing before you say, how can a loving god do yes that.
0: yeah exactly and that's not even a direction that i had in my notes to go but
1: <laughs> no that was a really good thing to point out because if someone's not familiar with this that's always the question yeah it always yeah. is
0: so many people see god as vindictive and mean yeah, and
1: why is he doing that? yeah
0: and brutal yeah. but that's not which, the case. which i
1: don't i don't blame anybody for asking that question because i remember i did yeah and so yeah it's it's a study to to be had if, if it's a question you're asking yes but um, yeah, that, the next scene is uh, Joshua's army pretty much conquered the region. They still had the aftermath of rounding up the rest of the, the hooligans that were scattered across the land. Good word. In, in verse 16, we see uh, the, the five kings, they had escaped and hid themselves in a cave. Cowards. <laughs> At which point, Joshua tells them to roll the stones over the mouth and yeah. trap them boogers in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine like you're in a good hiding spot and all of a sudden you see these rocks just coming and like,
1: yeah, oh no. I, and I love the scene because he's like, I don't have time to deal with those five kings right mm-hmm. now, so roll the stone and let's keep chasing. We'll come back yeah, later,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're already accounted for,
1: yeah. We've got the stone rolled over, and we know they're not getting anywhere, so. yeah. <laughs> and they that's that's kind of what happens, isn't it? It
0: is, yeah. He comes back and he deals with them,
1: yeah. They they chased uh, as many of the, the fleeing people from the army as they could and uh, defeated as many as they could. And then they, they made their way back to the caves where Joshua orders the stone to be removed. And um, pretty, pretty intense scene mm-hmm. from this point on.
0: Yeah. I mean, he brings out the guys and he says, hey, put your feet on their necks. Yep. And I want to show you what God is doing um, over the inhabitants of this land.
1: Yeah. And while while they have their feet against their necks, he he then gives this inspirational speech, <laughs> and um, back to Gladiator, <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He says, "Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all of your enemies with whom you fight." Mm. And I know, Josh, you said in the past that's one of your verses that you that you go back to. Yes, for sure, and it's a powerful one. Yeah.
0: God fighting for us. I mean, so wonderfully um, displayed in this story of God saying, I walk with you. I am in this with you. You're never alone. The battle belongs to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so yeah. perfectly displayed in this, in this, um, just these couple of chapters.
1: Yeah. And then after the speech, he, he strikes each of them, killing them and hangs them on uh, five trees until mm-hmm. evening, it says. And then they were cut down, put back in the cave. <laughs> stones rolled back over. <laughs> Shut it no, down. No joke. That's what yeah, happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, from this point on, verse twenty-nine through the end of the chapter, uh, it goes on to document the cities and kings that Joshua conquered. And I, you know, I didn't take much time to notate each one. Um, I had I had a little bit to say on verses forty through forty three, but Josh, did you have anything more to say?
0: No, I'm gonna embarrass myself here. I stopped right at the end of Sun Stand Still. Oh, Did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, when you're telling this story, I'm just telling it from recollection. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm this with...
1: is your book, man, dude. <laughs> it's yeah. Joshua. I've read it. I just read you it recently, it. so I I've, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I'll just read forty through forty three, um, and then we can just have our ending statements about the whole thing thus Joshua struck all the land the hill country and the Negev and the lowland, and the slopes and all their kings he left no survivor he utterly destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord God of Israel had commanded Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea even as far as Gaza and the country of Goshen even as far as Gibeon Joshua captured all these kings in their lands at one time because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. So Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp of Gilgal. Mm. And it just it goes to show that he followed through to yeah. the very nth degree. And um, it, it's just uh, a really, really neat thing to see the, the dedication of Joshua in that faith.
0: Yeah. And he went to all those kings' hometowns and said, Daddy's home. <laughs> you went there. I did. I didn't mean. It. I didn't know what I was going to say even. But well, they all of a sudden their leader. There's a power vacuum, and Joshua comes riding in, and he's just like, "New daddy's in town. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this.
1: Mercy, that's yeah." That's yeah, summed up more more current lingo there. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much what happened. Oh goodness! But uh, yeah, do you you got anything more, Josh? Before we jump into our ending statements? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that response. I said it all. <laughs> you said, "No, nah, I better quit." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even though this episode in our category "Weird in the Word" was centered around the sun standing still, I have to remind myself. That this amazing event started with belief in the power of God. And we've touched on this throughout the whole episode. But, you know, many times we say that we believe, but when it comes to a road that we feel might be too difficult, we start to have fear. And we'll take a step back instead of taking a step forward that comes, you know, from that forward motion that comes Mm. from faith. Um, Joshua had such a faith in God that he marched towards every single piece of instruction with full assurance that everything God said would happen would happen. It was a matter of fact to Joshua, and time itself was commanded by God to stop because of the faith and obedience of Joshua. So the big takeaway for me is that faith teamed with obedience is essential if we want to make big leaps in our walks. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be things that seem too difficult, too scary, things that we'll put on the back burner and try to forget. But if we approach our battles with the faith and obedience that landed Joshua in the pages of scripture, then we cannot fail in God's will for us because it is God who fights for us when we approach him with, with that type of surrender. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was my big takeaway for this whole story.
0: For, uh, yeah. Yes, for sure. I, I fully agree You know, just even thinking about what we read, I want to have a relationship with God like Joshua did, where you're walking so tight with him and so much by faith that when it comes time to do something monumental, you're not on a different page than he is. And you're not commanding him to do something that's outside of what he would ask you to do, but you're just like, okay, God. Let's do this together, yeah, and amen. you just see that like ebb and flow of of his mighty power you know working through you because his holy spirit lives within us, and so if we're in tune with him, we're not gonna go out of his will and ask for something crazy, yeah, you know, even if it's a bold statement, you know it's always gonna be for his glory because this wasn't about Joshua being like the greatest battle leader ever. It was about him relying on the promises of God. And and I would love to think that God can do anything. This is his. This is his show. This is his creation. And so, you know, I know scientifically we look at it and go, "How does this make sense?" Because the Earth is spinning at so many thousands of miles a minute, you know, or yeah. a, an hour or whatever. whatever. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard it. I've heard it recently, <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to quote it wrong, but yeah. however fast the Earth is spinning and however fast we're traveling around the sun, I mean, the thing is, is that God is still in control. He made the heavens and the earth, and He knows how to make this work. Yeah. And my job is to just abide in him and walk with him by faith, doing what he's called me to do. And and maybe he's never going to ask me to say sun stand still. Yeah. But maybe he's going to ask me to go out and say, "Hey, have you heard about this guy? This God that can stop the stop the moon in its tracks? Have you heard about his son who died on the cross to save all mankind?" Yeah. Whatever that
1: might be. Sometimes listener in Scripture, the truth truly is stranger than fiction. It is. So that's really all I have. Yeah, it's a it was a very strange scene, and I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, let us know if you have any questions. Uh, maybe we didn't touch on everything, but I really enjoyed this study. I don't yeah. know about you.
0: Yeah, definitely. These weird in the words are just, they're fun. They're totally out of right field sometimes. And you're just like, what does that even mean contextually? yeah. But they're really fun to dive into and um, kind of takes you down some rabbit holes and, and you just roll with it.
1: Yeah. Some of these topics that, that your preacher might sometimes, let's go to the next verse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's really fun to, to get into them. So, yeah. Pause and reflect. Yeah. And sometimes at the end of them, you have to just put all the information and awaiting for further details exactly folder, but it's still it's still god's word and it's yes. great to get into yeah so we're glad that you're with us listener we're glad that you um you tune in please uh, remember if this podcast is helping you out um hit you know the subscribe or, or like button and share it with your friends because uh it'll likely affect someone else too so we encourage you to do that if god puts it on your heart
0: Yes, and um, also connect with us. I know that there's some weird in the words coming up that certain people have talked to us about and I'm really excited to cover those things so if there's something that you've encountered in the Bible that you're like that is just strange. I'd like to hear more about it, even if again it's not something that we can just bring ultimate clarity to, but maybe more of a contextual discussion of of coloring in the lines um, we would love to hear from you so please uh, send us a facebook message or connect with us online or even send us an email at bsnakebird.com we would love to hear from
1: you and hear your thoughts that's right guys and, and always don't forget that this is a community you got prayer requests you need anything at all please just reach out in that respect as well so that we can be here for you and you for us.
0: Yes, we realize right now things are
1: crazy and we want to be standing with one another. Absolutely. This world is insane. It always has been. It it seems like it is more now, but (laughs) every generation probably (laughs) says it. Yeah, that's right. But uh, we need each other. The the Bible uh, lays that out for us, so reach out.
0: Yeah, so Snakebirds, always remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what
1: life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And Be a snake bird.